If you have your copy of the scripture, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We'll be looking today at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. We'll get to those verses in just a moment. If you've um, been coming along with us on this journey through the book of Hebrews, uh, you've no doubt discovered some very rich and powerful passages of scripture in the first four chapters so far, talking about the power and the majesty the uh, strength and the authority of God, especially through the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, the passages discuss not only the divinity of Christ, uh, that He is fully God and fully man, but also the love of God that is displayed through Christ Jesus, who would offer Himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And today we start a new section of uh, the book of Hebrews, which kind of covers... Chapters 5 through 9, which uh, talks about uh, the priestly functions of Jesus. Now, uh, we don't hear a lot about the priestly functions, especially in our uh, Baptist churches today, and so we'll talk a little bit about uh, the relevance of this in the early church in which this book was written, uh, from some of the Old Testament practices of the priestly duties, as well as uh, what was happening in the time in which this book was written, but also look at how this is relevant for us today in 2017 at Lakes Baptist Church. So look with me, if you will, at uh, Hebrews chapter 5, beginning verse 1. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning verse 1. It says, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he had suffered, and once being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was recognized by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Let's just pray. Heavenly God, I thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word and for opportunity to work our way through it together as your church. Lord, we pray that your spirit guide us and that your Holy Spirit teach us and challenge us, Lord, to trust you, our great God, and to be your church, representing you and lifting you up in this community, that you be glorified and honored and served through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to begin uh, this passage in Hebrews chapter 5 by talking about uh, the calling and the purpose of the priests. Now, um, the priests had two main duties, as mentioned here in verses 1 to 4. Uh, one, to represent the people before God, and uh, two, to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people, uh, which included 
the sins of the, pe- of the priests because they were uh, human and so they were uh, fallen and sinful people. Now, originally in, in the Old Testament, actually when the Old Testament started, uh, everyone was kind of their own priest and had that relationship with God, but then he went to the head of the household. So in time of uh, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and uh, Joseph, the head of the household was uh, the one who represented the family before God. Uh, and then later in the Old Testament, we see the Levitical system. It's described in the book of Leviticus, in which there were the, the tribes of Israel, the, the nation of Israel had grown and were divided into the, uh, the different 12 tribes. And uh, the priests came from only one tribe, which is the tribe of Levi, and uh, only one family, which is the family of Aaron, who was the first priest chosen by God uh, to represent the people before God. David later on went on uh, as the king to divide the, the priests into 24 different classes or courses uh, and different levels in, in a sense of um, uh, the priesthood. But uh, the high priest was the one who had the opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies, which is the, the very presence of God, and, uh, and represent the people. Whereas uh, some of the other priests would offer sacrifices outside of the Holy of Holies, the high priest uh, would uh, go into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, uh, to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. In fact, the high priest is known to mark the, uh, the names of the children of Israel on a, a breastplate of judgment, which uh, was a memorial to Yahweh. And he went into the Holy of Holies to represent the people and their sins before God and to offer sacrifices, a blood sacrifice of a perfect lamb or uh, calf to, uh, uh, to cover the sins of the people. Uh, in fact, the, um, the high priest in the Old Testament served um, for life. And um, in fact, because no one else is allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, um, the high priest would have, often have uh, bells and trinkets and stuff uh, on his tassels, on his uh, robe, on his uh, priestly robe, so that as long as he's moving around in there, people could kind of hear him jingling and, uh, and moving around. Uh, but if, uh, if somehow, if the, priest, if the high priest died while in the uh, Holy of Holies, no one was allowed to go in and get him. And so he had a rope tied to his, his ankle. And so if he happened to, to die inside the Holy of Holies, uh, they say they would kind of pull him back out and uh, take care of him that way because only the one person, only the high priest was chosen by God to go into God's presence and to represent the people. Now, in the um, New Testament, we don't see uh, the words priest mentioned nearly as much. In fact, the, uh, the term priest is not mentioned much after the fall of the, the temple or the fall of Jerusalem. And um, although... Uh, in the Old Testament, the high priests seem to serve all their life. In the New Testament practices, the, uh, the high priests seem to have been chosen for a particular time uh, and then released of those duties, and then God would call another high priest. And so it seems by the New Testament passages that there were a number of high priests that were actually living at any particular time. In fact, when the, um, when the New Testament refers to the phrase uh, the chief priest, uh, it is likely it is uh, the, the group of the former high priest who gathered together to um, seek to lead the people. The high priest was a prominent figure, not only religiously, but um, had political power as well, as he was the head of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish high court, and represented the Jewish people before uh, whatever uh, king and governing power uh, was over the people of the land. Now, 
it's important to note that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, the, the priests were not chosen, or the high priest was not chosen by man, like a, a king may be, uh, but was called directly by God for this role. And uh, verse 1 starts in this passage by saying that each uh, priest is appointed by God to represent the people and to bring sacrifices and offerings to God for the sins of the people. And verse 2 is an interesting passage because it says, the priest should deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray. Now, um, this is not a reference to people who are ignorant people uh, necessarily or difficult people to deal with, uh, although I have heard, um, obviously no pastors who have ever pastored here, but I've heard other pastors who have uh, got a bit tickled with this passage saying, pastors are called to deal gently with ignorant people. Um, but uh, thank goodness I, I get to deal with you guys, and you're all just wonderful and knowledgeable and uh, all that. But what it's talking about here is actually a reference to those who, um, to, to deal gently with those who, uh, who sin in ignorance. In fact, the, the Greek word is metropotheo, which means to, to deal gently with or to treat with mildness or moderation. It's the idea actually of being in the middle of things with people, being involved intricately in the community, but yet taking the middle ground, being patient with the wrongdoers and yet not condoning the wrong. And to be gracious with those who sin and who fall into sin because the priest himself was a fallen person. And he recognized the old phrase, there but for the grace of God go I, and was able to deal gently with the people in his church. But what we want to recognize is not only uh, the calling and the purpose of the priest, but that Jesus himself had a greater calling and a greater purpose. Uh, verses 5 to 7 start to uh, describe that for us. It says Jesus himself uh, was called by God, not just as the high priest, but was called as the son to serve. You see, the, the priests were called by God, but Jesus is God. The priests represented fallen man uh, before God, but they themselves were, of course, fallen. But Jesus was tempted in every way, the Bible says, and yet was without sin. He was the only righteous and the holy one who could stand before God for us. The priests offered sacrifices for sin, but Jesus himself was to become the perfect lamb, the sacrifice once and for all, for all sin. Warren Wearsby actually says, Christ is both the once and for all sacrifice and the high priest who ministers to God's people. He has a greater calling and that this is not only just a, a high priest called to represent, but this is Jesus himself, God's son, God in the flesh, who has come to lead the people back to God and to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Now, verse 6 says, Jesus is called to be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, you might think, well, what in the world does that mean? Uh, and that's a pretty good question because Melchizedek isn't a name which just pops up uh, very often. I know uh, Lindy and I have been talking about some baby names and thinking Melchizedek isn't on the list. I was like, it's, it, we never even thought of this one. So um, it's not one of those common names. It's not something we hear a lot about, even for people who know the Bible. Uh, now, we'll, we'll talk a lot more about Melchizedek in chapter 7. And so we'll get you to, to hold on for that to get some more detail. But we'll at least give a summary of Melchizedek so that um, we can see the relevance for this particular passage. Melchizedek was uh, 
was a priest in the Old Testament times. He served in the time of Abraham. And we see him in a reference in Genesis chapter 14, verse 8. But we don't hear anything else about Melchizedek until about a thousand years later uh, when it's written about in Psalm, in Psalm 110, verse 4. Uh, but the Bible says he is a priest like no other, including Aaron, who was the first priest chosen by God to represent the people uh, and was the, the iconic sort of priest Aaron was. Well, they said Melchizedek was greater than uh, anyone from the tribe of Levi or from Aaron. And it's interesting, there, there's no ancestry records for Melchizedek. And so uh, it is a symbolic uh, that, that he had no beginning or, or no end. Uh, the, uh, John Piper says he is a symbolic pointer to the priesthood with no beginning and no end. What uh, Melchizedek symbolized, which was the dignity of, of God and uh, the eternal priestly order, Christ realized. And Jesus made real what the, the, the believers in this early church had come to idealize in Melchizedek, in uh, the importance of this priestly duty uh, in representing people forever and in offering the sacrifices for people forever. That, that was taken care of. We recognize, it's important to recognize in this passage that Jesus actually realizes and becomes all of which Melchizedek uh, represented for the people. So not only was Jesus called to serve, but he represented the people before God as the, the only sinless one who stands for a sinful people. In fact, we find that in, uh, in verse 7, which, um, which says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus, uh, if you look, especially in the Gospels, you'll see a number of times Jesus cried out on behalf of people uh, who were sick or who were injured. Uh, he called out to God on behalf of his disciples who just never seemed to understand what he was talking about uh, and, and just constantly prayed for them, constantly prayed for the people. I think the greatest um, reference this probably makes in, in the book of Hebrews chapter uh, 5 or 7 is to the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in which just... Uh, prior to his crucifixion, prior to his willingness to, to lay his life um, down for us on the cross, Jesus prayed earnestly uh, in which his, uh, his sweat drops become drops of, of blood. And he cried out, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, then let's go that way. But if not, let your will be done. And Jesus became that perfect sacrifice for all. The Levitical priests often fell short of God's glory. In their roles, they themselves were sinful people. They were fallen people. And they constantly had to offer sacrifices for themselves as well as the sinful people. But the priests also sometimes became corrupted by sin. Instead of offering the, the per, uh, pure and perfect lamb, the spotless one, they would sometimes uh, sell lame animals uh, that's, uh, for their own profit or use unworthy sacrifices to seek to honor God in unworthy ways. But Jesus completed the blood requirement for sin once and for all. He was perfect in every way. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And by being sinless and spotless, uh, completely pure sacrifice, God himself, he was able to pay the debt for all sin once and for all. So Jesus not only cried out for us, but he became the sacrifice for us. 
He was willing to say those words, not my will, Lord, but yours. I know this is going to be a difficult path, and I don't want to go that way, but I want to follow you, and I will submit completely to you. And some of the last words Jesus said on the cross, we see in John chapter 19, verse 30, he said, it is finished, and then he died. We want to recognize Jesus not only has a, a great calling and a great purpose, but we want to see the, the submission and the service and sacrifice of Christ, which is highlighted for us in uh, verses 8 to 10. You see, Jesus is not only the glorious King, the God of all the universe, but He humbles Himself to be in the form of a man, to suffer and to serve God, to suffer in the, the temptations of sin, to suffer in His physical self, pain and agony like some of us would never imagine, to be tempted in every way and yet to not fall, but to keep honoring God, to submit even in His earthly self to following God's ways, not His own. For He was not only a King of glory, He was our servant King. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8 says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not see equality with God something to be grasped or something to use for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on the cross. Now, humility isn't something that we see a lot of anymore. Now, when I first came to Australia, they warned me a little bit about uh, what Australian, Australians call tall puppy syndrome, in that um, if you uh, get a little too big uh, or too um, full of yourself, I guess, uh, someone will quickly pull you into line and will uh, cut you back down again. And the idea is that if the flower or the poppy sticks up a bit too much, it's going to be cut down so it's not sticking above uh, anyone else. Uh, I remember um, when, I was, when Lindy first came to America and uh, she was looking at my office as uh, the pastor, I had uh, just my certificate of ministry and diploma and things like that kind of hanging back behind me and she's like, what's this all about? Like, like I'm really full of myself, yeah? Like, why would you put up that up there? I'm like, I don't know. Every other pastor I know has that hanging in behind them, yeah? She's like, well, yeah, just so that won't be here. So, so my now my uh, all my diplomas and you know ministry stuff that's all in a file box somewhere in the garage. Uh, so, uh, because what's important isn't those papers, is it? It's uh, our relationship with God and um, our relationship with you. You often hear those phrases from Australians saying something like, you know, get off your high horse or get over yourself, mate. But still, humility isn't something we see a lot of anymore, isn't it? And, and growingly, seems like in the media, we see more and more of the person and less and less of, uh, of God. From sports stars dancing after uh, touchdowns or tries, to music stars staging things for the paparazzi, from businessmen and women to pastors, too often we see more of us and less of Jesus. And humility is not something we see a lot of in the public discourse. Um, 
even in debates from people on social media, if, you're, if you ever engage in those, I'm going to say, watch out. Because people are very gracious to you and they want to listen to your views as long as your views agree with theirs. And if not, all humility and grace is off the table. Now we should be listening more and talking less. We should be engaging with people not only to sit with them but to, to hear the emotions behind what they're saying to read between the lines. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversations be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Verses 8 and 9 says, He humbled himself. Jesus, God himself, humbled himself and learned obedience from what he suffered. He suffered for you and for me. He humbled himself to be in the form of a man in the first place and to be subject to obedience. He, he obeyed God in every way. And once made perfect, it became the source of eternal salvation for all who would believe in him. He humbled himself to death on the cross and became that eternal sacrifice to all who would believe. And mankind was born into sin. We're totally depraved and we, um, we cannot make it. We cannot make it right with God on our own. There's nothing we can do. We'll never be good enough to be right with God. We'll never be sin-free enough to be right with God. We'll never pay enough to the church to be made right with God. There's nothing we can do on our own that will get us right with God. But Jesus paid that price for us once and for all. He knew that the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He, God Himself, humbled Himself to become a man and to be tempted in every way yet without sin. He, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, humbled himself to death, even to death on the cross, that he might pay once and for all the debt for all of us. All we have to do is trust in him. There's no more need for confession to the, the priest or sacrifices for the sin. Jesus has already paid all of that for us, and you can have eternal life if you choose it. Verse 9 says, He has become... He has become the source of eternal salvation for all those who will believe in Him. My question to you this morning is, do you have that salvation? 1 John 1, 9 and 10 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. 1 Corinthians seven ten says, Godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow leads to death. Romans 10.9 says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.13 says, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Revelation 3, verse 20. It's a beautiful passage of God standing outside the door and knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone who opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. Anyone who opens that door, I will come in. God loves you so much. In fact, God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to not only represent us before God and to constantly be bringing our wrongs, but to pay that price once and for all with his own blood 
to offer his life for a payment for our sin so we can be justified of that sin, wiped clean, just as if we'd never sinned for any who trust in him. All we have to do is put our trust in Jesus and we have eternal life, eternal salvation. He is that source of eternal salvation. We have to come to him. Now, the, the thing with that is that God doesn't make us follow him. He loves us. He makes a way for us to have eternal life. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to have eternal life. And he offers it to each of us as a gift. God loves you, and he, he sent Jesus to die for you, to be the sacrifice, the perfect, sinless one, God in flesh, to pay the price for your sin. And all you have to do is turn to him, to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus today. I'm going to ask, have you made that decision to follow Jesus today? Have you made that decision in your life to say, you know what? I didn't even realize how much God loves me. I don't want to be enslaved in that life of sin anymore. I want to be free, have that freedom and hope and uh, eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's available to any who will trust in Him. It's available to any who will believe. All we have to do is turn from that sin and turn to God. He gives forgiveness and grace and mercy to us. Some people think they're too far gone. Some people think they've sinned too much. And, and, and the family couldn't really love them anymore. Or people in the community, if, people in the church, if you really know what I've done, you wouldn't love me anymore. But you see, there is no too far gone for God. There is no too much sin for God. He has already paid the price for that sin. He has already, it's already done. It's already paid for. Jesus sent His own, Jesus came Himself and, and paid His own life for that sin. He knows all of that wrong. He knows the piles of sin that we've done and that we've lived in. He's seen where we've gone and how many times. He's seen those mistakes and those heartaches and those failures. And He offers you grace and mercy because Jesus has already paid it all for us. All we have to do is trust in Him. I want to ask as we, we're going to sing our, our final song. I want to ask if you're here uh, this morning and you say, you know what? I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. We're going to have uh, an opportunity for you to do that. As we sing this last song, if you're here this morning and you say, you know what? I want that life. I want to have that freedom. And I recognize now that Jesus has paid that price for me and all I have to do is trust in Him with my life. I want to ask that you do that this morning. That As we sing this last song, you come down and uh, you, can, you can just sit here at the, uh, uh, the row in the front. You can bow down and just pray and give your life to God. If you want to, uh, to talk uh, to someone, uh, we've got, um, we've got our, our elders are, uh, are all here. Jen can throw down the mic and come down. Um, we're here for you. We're here to give you an opportunity to get things right with God. However God's dealing with your heart this morning. Maybe you want to join in the fellowship of the church. Maybe you, you've been a Christian for a long time and you say, you know what? I recognize how far I am from God. I want to come back home. God never leaves you. He never forsakes you. The moment we want to turn back around, He's right there to embrace us and to pick us back up out of the mud and put us back on the solid ground, lead us in, the ways, in His ways of righteousness. If you're here this morning and God's dealing with your heart in some way, uh, come. Let's all stand as we sing this last song. If God's dealing with your heart in some way, maybe you want to come down and just pray.
Maybe you want to come down and give your life to God. This is your opportunity to, uh, to get things right with God as we sing.